Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Gear, Gadgets and Gizmos podcast. Um, thank you for joining us. I have today a, a slightly different approach. We've got a chap called Rob Smith with us who runs his own business, Active Hands. And as you'll see in the next few minutes, this is very relevant to disabled people and people who are interested in tech and various gadgets that help them overcome any of the issues that they're trying to manage. So welcome, Rob. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Yeah. Lovely sunny day out here. I'm in my conservatory, just looking out on the garden, in my little home office. Very nice too. Very nice. Beats commuting, doesn't it? Oh, without a doubt. The commute from the kitchen is uh, never too much traffic. Exactly. So, Rob, thank you so much for giving up some of your time for us today. And I thought, as we always try to do, it would be worth starting with just a bit about your background and your own personal journey and sharing why, you know, why disability and so on is, is of interest to you. So wherever you'd like to start, really. OK, so um, my journey as a person um, in relation to disability, I suppose, started when I was 20 years old. Um, I was at uh, Warwick University studying mechanical engineering as my degree, um, and I went on holiday with some friends to Devon, uh, and I managed to find my way to the bottom of the cliff via the quick method, which wasn't the plan. Um, so I spent nine months in uh, Salisbury District Hospital, because that was my local spinal unit to the incident, um, and I obtained a C5-6 uh, incomplete spinal cord injury. So from that point onwards, my lower body and my upper body hand function and other areas were affected quite severely by that injury. Um, and 20 odd years later, I am uh, a wheelchair user. My hand function is quite severely affected. Um, but now I run a business making products for people with disabilities that affect their hands. So it's no great mystery, is it, how the business came about in terms of your injury? Uh, and your interest in people with obviously with manual dexterity issues and other issues. I suppose the good fortune, if that's what you'd call it, is that you were kind of doing mechanical engineering. So you, you've got a background in sort of engineering, problem solving, that kind of stuff, would you say? Yeah, definitely. I, I've always been a problem solver. And um, I've actually also always been a bit of an entrepreneur. So from a, a young age, I had my own little craft business selling gift cards and um, jewellery and things at local craft shops um, and the two kind of came together when uh, my disability started I suppose and um, the initial reason for setting up the company is I had uh, some frustration of myself there not being a product that I could go and use in the gym um, to lift weights to kind of help me with my um, wheelchair sports because I couldn't lift, I couldn't hold any of the, um, the weights with my hands. So my arms were quite strong, but my hands wouldn't grip anything. So this is where Active Hands began. I asked my mum to help me on her home sewing machine to devise a few products using my mechanical engineering skills. Um, and after a, a few different practice prototypes, we came up with what we now know as our general purpose gripping aid, which is our, one of our biggest selling products with Active Hands today. And from that point, the kind of, went on developing new products and the, the company slowly grew. So it's, I mean, it says it, it's a bit like it's on the tin, isn't it? Active hands. Um, obviously for people that are tetraplegic where their hand control is not great, but what about people say like people with arthritis in their hands and those kinds of conditions? Does this, do your products kind of cater for them too? Yes, we do. I mean, initially to begin with, 
um i think my my frustration i realized that my lower body wasn't going to work very well and um but it wasn't long before i realized that the thing that affected my life more was things in my upper body my hand function yeah. um so when i initially started active hands it was more sort of catering for the areas of knowledge that i had which was to do with people with tetraplegic and um, high level spinal cord injuries uh, i used to be a wheelchair rugby player now i do wheelchair racing so i had a lot of people wanting to be active and get into the gym that kind of area um as our company expanded and more people heard about us we would get people who've got cerebral palsy people with ms people with who've had strokes arthritis uh, and all these other disabilities coming to us to say you know your products kind of work for me they're quite good in these areas but um my disability is slightly differently so can you design something for me that um helps with my disability relating to hand function so a particular one of those was a lot of people would come to us with limb difference so if they were missing um fingers or parts of hands or parts of arms either through later injury in life or from birth so we developed products to help with them as well so as we increased our own knowledge we developed products that would help wider and wider groups of people where hand function is an issue so going back to your mum and her sewing machine <laughs> that's brilliant how these things start yeah. isn't it Mum and a sewing machine um you said you were an entrepreneur clearly you've got the engineering background you've got personal experience of disability which you wanted to sort out you came up with ideas around devices that you could then use personally mm -hmm. You mentioned you were an entrepreneur before, so it seems pretty logical that you would be thinking about setting up a company. Now, there will be some people, we know that employment opportunities for disabled people are often difficult um, for all sorts of reasons. You solved that problem by setting up your own business, but just a minute or two on how that worked. Was that easy for you to do? Was it difficult? Did you, you, know, did you encounter any major hassles on the way to setting up the organisation itself? Um, it's quite an interesting story and uh at the time i made the inventions but um i didn't see it as being a huge business that i was going to get involved with because i was at university at the time um i was very much into traveling as a backpacker um and i was into a lot of music things like that so um as my mum started just making a few here and there it wasn't a plan for her really to set up a business either but lots of people asked us or oh, can you make one for me can you make one for me um, right. And it just developed very, very slowly, kind of with me helping with the sort of promotion of it and the design side, but not being really involved in the business. And actually, at the time, um, I had set up another business, which was to do with um, events and DJing and club promotion um, and corporate events. Uh, and I ran that business and it was growing very well up until about 2008 when the financial crisis happened. And right. nobody wanted to spend any money on on events when they couldn't pe keep people in jobs. So um, it was at that stage, really, when Active Hands had grown from a very small company where you might sell, you know, five units in a month up to selling a few more than that and having its own website. Um, and at that time, my mum sadly passed away with cancer and myself and my sister and dad sort of took on the business made it into a limited company and decided that, you know, we were going to really put our efforts into this to take it from just a small um, concern, helping a few people here and there to see if we could make it much bigger and help many more people worldwide. So it was actually quite a slow process. 
so clearly it was you saw that the active hands business had more potential and could could bring in a living rather than your DJing and that kind of stuff, did you? Well, with the events company as well, it was becoming quite a good company. It was it wasn't a big earner, but it had the potential. And I did some big events towards the end of 2008, which unfortunately couldn't be capitalized on. But also Active Hands had growing away in the background and I was doing work for Active Hands unpaid, just, you know, sort of covering expenses, going out to spiny units and doing product design developments and, and those kinds of things out of my own interest. But it wasn't actually until I think it was 2008, 2011, when we entered the Stelios um, Disabled Entrepreneur Award. Um, I think we entered the year before as well and got to the final, but didn't win. And then the next year we entered again um, and there was a big fat check for that for £50,000, which is, you know, a massively substantial amount when we weren't really paying ourselves a salary. And myself and my sister decided like, you know, we've got some money in the bank. Let's give ourselves a small salary each and see what we can do in the next couple of years just to see if we can develop this to a, a proper business that can support us financially as well. Yeah. And unlike, I guess, many spinal cord injured people, you didn't get any compensation or anything like that when you were injured. So no. it really was a question. Then the loss of your mum, that must have been a terrible time for you all. Yeah, that was a tough time. Um, and, you know, she'd had cancer back when I was younger and it had gone away and then come back again, as these things sometimes do. Um, and I think Active Hands, we we were quite happy to let it be her little baby because she had kind of been a home like mum for, for a long time and had not been working um, consistently for a while. And this was a really big step for her and a really big thing for her to do as, you know, being a business owner. Um, so we wanted to let her run with it and help her as much as we could along the way um, to help it get built up. But, um, you know, if she could look on it now, she wouldn't believe what we're what we're up to these days and you know how many countries we reach and how many different disabilities and people we support with the active hands company now yeah i mean i suppose in some ways it you know watching her son end up in a wheelchair and then finding a very practical way to make a difference to that that must that was just a brilliant sort of circular yes. thing yeah yeah uh, and you were living at home, of course, and uh, she was looking after you as your family were, I, I guess, immediately after your injury. But um... only briefly, yeah. So I was, I had my injury between my second and third year of uni, um, and I came home from the hospital in about April, and I was determined to go back to finish my final year of uni in the preceding September October. Um, so I spent that whole time um, doing all I could to be as independent as possible to be able to go back and finish that final year staying at the university rather than at home. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a really interesting sort of backstory to how this all comes about, mm -hmm. isn't it? It's funny how the pieces all somehow fit together to, to, to bring you to where you are now. But so obviously the business is doing well. Um, you're developing products all the time. Yeah. What, I mean, aside from the work you did for yourself, to enable yourself to be more independent and use your hands in different ways. What would you say has been the best or the most successful product that Active Hands has produced thus far? 
I think probably our biggest seller and still the best product is the, the kind of initial one that I did. That's it's so versatile. It's called our general purpose gripping aid. Um, and it just works so well. It's very simple. Yet we've made little tiny little tweaks to it, which you might not notice if you're not a user, but things that help you help the wrist strap not come undone, that help you push the overhand strap through the buckle and make it not flop around. All these little tweaks that we've made over the years to make it work perfectly for our users. Um, that's still our bestseller. But we've we've got lots of new ones. Uh, we've recently just brought out an angled aid, which is similar, but it's for holding sort of tennis rackets and, um, and that kind of thing, table tennis bats. Okay. We've got a lot of feedback from customers saying, you know, do you produce this product? Can you make this for me? Um, and there's there's always products in the pipeline. Um, we've re- we we started off mostly do making things with neoprene and webbing, but um, over the last few years we've gone on to making things from plastics and metals and um, mainly still low tech. We don't really deal much with sort of ele- electronics and and higher tech items, but um, that is in the background as well. But we've also recently just bought ourselves a, a pretty super duper three um, D printer. And we're looking at developing a load of products, which we will be manufacturing with that, which we can prototype with in, in the office now. So, And where do you get your stuff made? Is that made in the UK or is it made abroad? You go to different suppliers? Um, everything's made in the UK at the moment. Um, some of the components might be made abroad. Um, and there are, there are a very few number of items. Um, well, there are some items that we put, buy in, which we don't manufacture. Um, but the ones that we manufacture ourselves, pretty much nearly everything is made in the UK, just because it keeps us close to the the sort of manufacture side of things, so we can keep on top of quality control. Yeah, we have at stages had a few things manufactured overseas, and they are okay for the first order or two, and then the quality starts to slip, and it becomes you uh, you're spending more in people sending things back than you are in you know the cost that you save from getting stuff done overseas. Yeah, and I suppose um, you've reminded me. So the, this kind of continuous improvement that you've been doing with that, you, you develop a product, then you work on it, work on it, work up, get feedback. Yeah, and and it's interesting that you know, contrary to a lot of opinions, you know, you're clearly making a successful business by but but being supplied within the UK because we often hear of people going abroad because it's so much cheaper and so. Did Brexit play any part in your decision, or has that not been relevant? Um, I see on your face for yeah, I, I can we can talk about brexit but there's lots of people with lots of different opinions so i don't rub yes, absolutely one way um the thing we're probably struggling with at the moment um we have found it a little bit more difficult to trade with europe um we've found ways around it but it's been difficult the thing that we've probably been bothered by is that we would normally get some funding by european sources to go to places like europe and and do shows and exhibitions and they would pay for like 50 yeah. percent of that um, that was not happening anymore. And on the flip side, what could have happened with Brexit is that we could have got some money to go to America or somewhere else to to expand our sales out there. But we're actually for the first time going out to America um, this year to a big show, and there's no funding at all to help us with that. So just costs and stuff like that right, haven't helped. Right. But um, it's probably best we don't go on about Brexit for too much because I know it divides opinion. Yeah, I think, but but from your point of view, just purely leave aside all the politics, that's not yeah. really relevant for our conversation. But what is relevant is your ability to uh, 
provide products to disabled people worldwide yeah. and if that's made more difficult for you then clearly disabled people at the end of it get get less of a service so you do see yourself really as international and that's where you're going to move to is it yeah no we we probably sell 70% of our products overseas oh, okay. probably 50% in the US or North America um so we are we are, have always been international because we're such a niche market yes um, and and like you say we we are listening to the feedback of our customers from all different disability types and all different places around the world and what products they need and we are led with new products and improvements on our current products very much by that um, and going back on to what you said about um having disabled people at the heart of of the kind of the whole process so i think yeah. that's really important that you get a very much a better product in a better um customer service when you know that someone has skin in the game essentially that you know you know what you're talking about you've been to these different organizations you know who the societies you might be selling to and the the ways that these products are going to be used because either i use them myself or i know people who who do um so i think that's very key and i think it also just makes products so much better when the person who's designing them has got a personal experience of, of how they're going to be used as well obviously your products initially were driven by your own need mm-hmm. you know i can't do this if i make this then i can do it yeah. and obviously then the benefit is to everyone else so over the so clearly you're still building your business you're still looking for opportunities across the world and so on and so forth. in terms of this 3d printer you mentioned a few minutes ago um, I don't know much about them. I do know that they're they're incredibly uh, exciting in that what you may be able to do with them. Um, presumably, this will lead to some really different products for you, will it? It will enable you to develop and design things in a very different way. Yes. I mean, the, the 3D printer we deliberately purchased is a bit of a more of a high-end one um, in that it produces a nice finish on a product. So whereas 3D printing is great for prototyping, you can produce components and sometimes full um, assemblies, which would be impossible to produce cheaply otherwise. The one that we've got, we hope to be able to produce some end products, not just the prototypes themselves. So um, when you're doing small runs of things in plastic, it's just not cost effective because making the molds you generally need to be printing off sort of 10,000 units of something before you start covering the cost of the mold manufacturer whereas we can print off you know 10 or 20 of an item um at a good quality finish and then sell it for you know a, a decent amount because it's a nice finish we don't have yeah. to, you know we we don't know whether a product sometime is going to be really successful or we're just going to sell a few of them so we can start you know, in that area where we're just knocking up small numbers. But it also means that we can produce bespoke items. So um, like I said before, I'm a wheelchair racer. So the new thing in wheelchair racing is that people produce their own wheelchair racing gloves, um, which are like hard plastic gloves where you essentially punch the wheel with them. So Mm -hmm. I'm currently on, I don't even know what to tell you what number prototype I am of trying to get this uh, item right. Um, and now I'm sort of sampling it with my racing group to try and make them correct the sort of the setup of uh, this very organic shape, which fits onto your hand. Um, but we can then take people's measurements, hopefully, you know, that they can take it home and send us evidence of, and then we can make 
little tweaks to the CAD of it, the, the computer-aided design kind of um, that goes into the 3D printer, and then we can make gloves which are bespoke to that person, uh, right. which is a real advantage of um, 3D printing. Uh, and when we can produce that with a nice finish, that becomes a product that we're able to sell. So that's an area we're really excited about. And um, it feels a bit more engineering sometimes for me than uh, some of the stuff that we work on. And what about um, the use of plastics? Because that's a big kind of planet green issue, isn't it? Are you able to work your way around the issues of single-use plastics or is that it's it depends it depends what sort of material we print in so we can print in some materials which can be reused but the difficulty with 3d printing is that most things it comes from a sort of um extrusion of a sort of a, a wire of the plastic um right. and it can't once it's been heated and then cooled can't be reused again but once we get to the point of having what we want and being able to deliver to a customer their exact glove, then we hope that that will produce less waste because we're getting it right for the customer. Yes. So they and you're not you're, you're not making hundreds of thousands of these. No, things, no. So no, it's, it's going to be it's, it's again a very bespoke, bespoke I'm sorry, very niche market. Um, yep. So we'll be selling all over the world, but it will be you know small numbers. So we know we know what you do and how you do it, and we know that you're moving into the international sales area for that what do you how do you see the next two or three years then for active hands and maybe for you personally how do you see the future going um i think probably more of this sort of stuff with the um with the bespoke work and with the 3d printed stuff um we've also got a product that we're developing at the moment which is a bit more electronics based using some of the sort of new and cheaper technology that now has become available with sort of programming and, and small-scale electronics um, right. to produce some sort of a, a grabber system, um, which I think has potential to have to be really useful to lots of people. But yeah, there's, there's definitely lots of work in, that is happening. Um, we're kind of struggling to have enough time to do it all, so we're employing people and increasing hours as we go, which is a, is a great feeling in a, in a time when financially it's you know some of the world is struggling including ourselves so that's yes. a really positive thing um but you, you always have to be a bit cautious because you never quite know what's around the corner no but it's uh it's that kind of classic conundrum isn't it there are good a good problem is where you've got too much work the bad problem is where you've got none yeah. so it's yeah it, both are difficult but you've got to manage them in different ways and what about for you personally so the business is clearly does take up an enormous amount of your time and yeah. you're you're making a big success of it by the sound of it and long may that continue but what about for, for rob personally what what are you are you still djing are you still leaping about to events uh, what are you not so much these days I, I finished djing i did a regular night at the, the university um where i used to go until about five or six years ago but um i've i've not really done anything in that area at the moment i've got um a nine-year-old and a four-year-old now so oh, um, no more yeah, so when they're quite young, you just want to spend as much time with them as you can, and they're quite a handful as well, quite hard work often. Uh, and with my wheelchair racing as well, um, there's not too much time to do much else, to be honest. Um, and wheelchair racing, uh, what, what are your ambitions there? I'm not not spring chicken anymore, so I keep going as long as I can, and I do train pretty much every day, um, try and carve out myself a little slot to keep fit and active. Um 
But yeah, I'd like to complete all of the world marathon majors, which I've got a couple left to do. Um, and then there's there's an outside chance of selection for something on the track in the future. But for me, there's not much in relation to long distance events, so it's unlikely. Mind you, that uh, that sounds like enough to me. Yeah. I'm, I'm just listening to you talk about it. Uh, I suppose the other thing you could have, Rob, is like they're doing some sports. Is you could have a kind of vets event, couldn't you, where the over 40s or whatever. I mean, in tennis, they have people playing yeah. 60 years of age, don't they? They, they certainly uh, do in, in people. Yeah, they certainly do in, in, in the sort of running events as an over different age group categories. Um, I think that it's, it's important um, for people with disabilities just to keep a healthy lifestyle for as long as possible because, you know, we, we our bodies will deteriorate in a different way as we get older, as well as, you know, probably more severely than someone who's able-bodied. So... Um, and there's always been a, a, a lot of um, talk about, you know, Paralympic level and high level competition for people with disabilities. But I think we need to bring into the conversation um, lifelong health and and well and fitness um, for people with disabilities as well. I think that needs to be something we talk about a lot more that we are doing these um, forms of sport and exercise for our health rather than for a competition at a, you know, a high level. Well, you know, I can't argue with any of that. I'm I'm vice chair of the Activity Alliance, which is uh, an umbrella organisation that promotes physical activity and and elite sport for yeah. for disabled people. And there is no question you're right about the health benefits. Absolutely, so crucial. So, yeah. well, I'm, I'm what I better do is set up a podcast on the Activity Alliance yeah. and then get you in for that as well. Okay. We could just it's a deal. <laughs> but rob this has been brilliant thank you so much you. for your time and it sounds to me like uh you're sitting on a very very exciting future with the with the the the, the kit that you're designing and building for disabled people obviously but also your own desire to stay fit and spread the word because for anybody looking at your website clearly you're an ambassador for what can be achieved for disabled people if they set their minds to it. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's been thank brilliant. You. brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for your time. If you'd like to share your stories about how you use technology to overcome some of the barriers that your disability puts in your way, then please contact me at brinkburn at gmail.com or you can look up the Research Institute for Disabled Consumers details on their website which is ridc.org.uk. Thanks very much, and I look forward to hearing from you.